Today's reading is Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. It can be found on page 948 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The word of the Lord. Uh, you can see the rest of that video on his website, Makato Fujimura. Um, I wanted to show it because not only does it just in many ways inspire and seem, seem like something really cool and interesting to watch and to know about, but it represents something that I don't know how common this is. I don't know how common my experience is, but I know a lot of people. I've grown up around a lot of people and been influenced by a lot of people for whom the Bible, like with uh, the artists in the video, the Bible is this central fixture in their life. That scripture weaves sort of a thread through their life and all their experiences and for whom a lot of these people that I know, this wouldn't be that strange of a concept that someone who's made it in the art community would take this kind of risk to then you know, do this whole art exhibit related to the Bible. Scripture, the Word of God, the Bible, the Old and New Testaments. What's your feeling about it? What do your friends think about it? There's a, there's a psalm in the Bible, and it's Psalm 119, and it's the longest one that there is. It's the longest psalm. It's the longest chapter in all of the Bible. And it's all about Scripture. So it's just over and over, pouring over all the delightful, uh, incredible wonderful things about the Bible and about Scripture. In hundreds of different ways, it describes it. Um, someday, just look at it. I remember I was surprised that I, hadn't, that I grew up around the Bible. I was surprised at the age I was to see this huge, long psalm in the Bible that I didn't know was there. It has 160, 176 verses. It ends saying, let me live that I may praise you and may your laws sustain me. I have strayed like a lost sheep. 
Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. Almost every verse has a synonym for scripture in it. Laws, commands, precepts. In Psalm 119, in all 176 verses. It's this, it's this ethos that is in the Bible and that you'll find in Christian churches, as I have found, this incredibly positive, effusive, descriptive uh, sense of what the Bible is and what it can be in your life and how good it is. And yet, um, you know, we enter into this topic just knowing, obviously, that some of you walk in here today, maybe that this is a huge hurdle. Just the idea of what I just described and what Makato Fujimura described on screen, this kind of importance, this link, this kind of saying, the Bible is this important in my life, that's, you haven't bought that yet. That's a big hurdle even to entering into some kind of faith relationship with God. I know that it's a huge hurdle, and I know that when you invite someone to, to City Life Church or to, um, to Community Pod during the week, it's a huge hurdle. Um, because you're more likely to, and you probably expect that there's a chance that their view goes more along the lines of Sam Harris in his book called The End of Faith, where he says the problem with Scripture, however, is that many of its possible interpretations, including the most literal ones, can be used to justify atrocities in defense of the faith. So there you go. Let me just take like one of the, the biggest, kind of harshest... Um, critiques of scripture and just throw it out there and say this is the spectrum within which we live and sort of just you you just have to assume your neighbors your friends some of you here today have that kind of view question of the week what do your friends think about the bible well there's a spattering of things is it it's a guide for life it's wise sayings a source of violence and wars as i just quoted it's the book that only scholars can understand. It's a very tough read. It's a nice book. It's eternal truths. It's sayings that have little pertinence today. And on and on and on. All of these very views. What's yours? What's your view of it? Luke, the gospel writer Luke, the story that Karen read before the video, he, he's, he's beginning the tale of Jesus' public ministry so this is like the Jesus biography, and he starts it. He starts the active ministry of Jesus with a story that really is Luke's and Jesus' argument for the vital importance of Scripture. And you might have guesses for what, what would be the argument for the vital importance of Scripture. Maybe it's not your argument. Maybe you just have to kind of think of, well, what do you assume people who are maybe Bible bangers, would what, they would, what would someone who really holds up the Bible, what would be their argument as to why it's vitally important? Try to think of something in your head, maybe your best answer or your best guess at someone else's answer. Why is the Bible so important? And the reason I ask that, the reason I want us to kind of get mentally engaged is that I think most of us won't necessarily answer it the same way Jesus does in this story and the way Luke wants us to see as he begins Jesus' ministry. It comes down to simply this, that Scripture, that the Bible is vital, according to Luke, according to Jesus' own words, because it helps you know what Jesus is all about. I just was, um, and this, this goes against a lot of our assumptions. I was just over at Buffalo Pizza this morning ordering pizza for our, the meeting that's happening afterwards today. 
and I saw on a shelf the pizza Bible. And of course, you know, the preacher's brain is cooking on Sunday morning. You can't stop this, you know, there's no off switch. And, uh, and I thought, okay, yeah, how does that work? How does that tie in? There's a common sense that the Bible's a rule book, a guidebook, an instruction manual. You know, everything you need to know for life, all the, all the rules, you know, all the things not to violate, all the things to do and not to do, you know, like the pizza Bible. It's really not like that at all. That's, Jesus' answer would be, we look into it to know more about Jesus. And so in this in the story, Jesus is, um, some of you thought maybe Jesus wasn't really into church. Jesus wasn't, you know, he's not a, into religion. He's more into peace and love. No, he was, it tells us he was going to the synagogues. He was going to church regularly. In fact, he, he's handed a scripture to read and then he's going to teach from it. He's handed the scroll of Isaiah and he reads from it. And it's a mashup of uh, a verse, a couple verses from uh, one place and another place, but they're about three chapters apart in Isaiah chapter 58 and 61. Not sure, you know, no one really knows exactly what's going on there and mashing those together. But that's his quote from Scripture that we have through Luke. And a lot of people then say, well, let's, this story must be about exactly that, interpret, that thing that he's saying from Isaiah. And that's not wrong to go that route. Today, we're going to go a different route and say, let's look at what he says right after. Let's look at how he begins his teaching as he has just read from that prophecy. He says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Fulfilled. Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. If you look... At the end of the book of Luke, Jesus is doing something very similar. So the beginning of his public ministry and the very last chapter of his public ministry, he meets the couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus. Let me just give you a couple quotes. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus kind of has a big head, doesn't he? All of the Bible talks about himself, and he wants, that's what he wants to teach his disciples. And then it goes on, and then he meets up with the other disciples... And he says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. At the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry and at the very end, he's teaching people about what the scriptures say about himself. He's teaching them a way of understanding the Bible, a way of understanding scriptures. And so when, I, when he says in Luke 4, verse 21, in our story that we started with today, when he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, I would challenge you to consider that he might not just be saying these, these three verses I read are fulfilled, but that he's saying 
this, but he's, you know, takes the scroll of Isaiah and hands it up and says, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That that's his big idea, that that's the big idea of how to understand the Bible. Um, in your worship guide, there are a couple of quotes, and one of them is by, um, oh, here it is. One of them is by R.T. France. Where'd that other thing go? I may have lost a page this morning. Let me read it. Jesus uses persons in the Old Testament as types of himself, and he refers to Old Testament institutions as types of himself and his work, the priesthood and the covenant. He sees in the experiences of Israel foreshadowings of his own. He finds the hopes of Israel fulfilled in himself. And then the other quote, For three years the disciples heard Jesus preach and teach, heard him speak of himself as the Son of Man, that the person who receives a kingship, um, that, as the person who receives a kingship that shall never pass away, Daniel 7, heard him say over and over that he fulfilled Old Testament promises, heard him apply to himself the role of the figure of the servant of Yahweh who was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Isaiah 53. Jesus places himself into the context of what is a promise fulfillment worldview that Scripture has. And he becomes this vital link. This sense of looking at the world as the world is best understood as this um, series of moments of divine intervention in which God's words come in and reverberate and come to life anew in different periods. Um, One writer named Christopher Wright, who I do believe this is the paper that that I misplaced on the way up here, but it's okay, because I can give you the sense of the quote. Um, he, he described uh, the way that promise fulfillment works in Scripture is like a, like a rocket being shot off, uh, all fueled up and ready to go, shot off into the air, but then you know, going far away, but coming back some later point in history and coming down and touching down, landing, refueling, and coming, going back up again, and on and on, coming back. This sort of sense that as you read the Bible and as Jesus is teaching people to read the Bible, there are promises that come more and more to life and more and more fulfilled over time. There are things that function in the Bible as, as a promise and a plan from God, and when we hear it, it's kind of like, or when you read it in Scripture, it's kind of like when you look at the, at the mountains and you see the closest mountain and you say, there's a mountain and I'm going to climb that mountain. And so you go and you climb it. When you get to the top, after a long journey, you get to the top of that mountain, you realize you've entered into a mountain range. It's not just a mountain. It's a mountain range. It just goes and goes and goes. And that's the way that Scripture functions as you read it. Jesus wants you to see himself as a part of that whole process of Scripture. In a way, the way Jesus teaches his disciples and the way he teaches us is to look at Scripture so differently. It's like... Another story of one of my professors was that when he was in this particular part of the world and he was in this valley in between two mountains and as he was driving up the mountain and his tour guide was bringing him along, all he saw in front of him was a green, luscious valley. 
when he turned around, all he saw was white, like it was covered in snow. There was a certain flower that had just bloomed in that whole valley, but it turns to the sun. So looking at it this way, it's all green. Looking back, it's beautiful white, like covered in snow. This is that point as Jesus begins teaching his disciples, as Jesus enters the world after so much of what we have today as the Bible has been written and is being studied, in which he's looking back at it, and now things have bloomed in a new way. And now from this point in this trajectory, he wants him to look back and now see himself on every page. Jesus is central to Scripture, and Scripture is central to understanding Jesus. Without Scripture, you can't understand Jesus. Without Jesus, you can't understand Scripture. It's a reciprocal concept. What's your view of Scripture? How important is it? Jesus, it appears from this passage, if you, especially if you read the first couple sentences, that he was going town to town to synagogues to do the same thing. And Luke is giving us one little picture of the many times that he did this. Town to town, synagogue to synagogue, teaching Scripture. It was vital. It was crucial. If I'm being personal and just sharing my own experience, I would say that I love Scripture. I love the Bible. I, I have a relationship with it that goes back and, is, and, and weaves through all these times and experiences in my life where I can think back to this, this phase or this period or this time I lived here or this time I lived there, and I, can, I get these sort of images of even places and even scripture passages, places and passages that came to life in a way that only when I look back, or maybe I would be intensely looking and studying something in the course of a difficult time in my life, and I would come to see that I hadn't just uh, been helped by scripture, but that Jesus had met me and answered kind of the anxiety of my heart and opened up life anew and afresh. Hebrews chapter 4 helps explain this. I didn't put a little tab in here, so I might have to just do it for memory. Here it is. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active. You believe that? Have you experienced that? The word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Life flows from the Bible's pages. I would even go so far as to say if, if your experience recently is that Jesus for you and your experience of Jesus is kind of meh, that I would also suspect that your connection to Scripture is kind of meh. They go together. The Bible is alive and it's full of power 
power for your life, power for whatever you're going through, power mainly to, to, to relieve your anxiety and your fears that, that you might be getting it all wrong or that God is going to judge you because it's a story of Jesus and the story of Jesus is a story of God's grace offered to you over and over again in your life. I think that's why so many people I know in my life have a fond relationship with the Bible. Grace offered to you over and over in your life. And it's why I have, you know, amidst a culture and having a lot of friends who would cringe at the uh, situation I'm about to describe to you, I don't at all. I, la- I, I love it. That my kids um, a lot of times come home from grandma's house and they're singing the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Bible! I don't, I know how my friends and your friends think about that. That's religious indoctrination, right? That's dangerous. I don't feel that way. I understand it, but I don't feel that way. And that song I learned when I was young that includes a verse that says, Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. That's, a good, that's right. I still, can't, I still can't think of any more concise, clear way to tell you how to grow spiritually than that silly verse in that song. Well, as I close, let me just give you one more word picture. You've seen the movie Back to the Future, right? And at the end, they're going to go to last year. At the end of the first movie, they're going to go to 2015, and then the second movie, they're in 2015. At the end of the first movie, Doc comes back with the time-traveling car, except it's flying now, and he doesn't need plutonium. He goes and rummages through the garbage. It was one of my, the, my favorite movie endings ever because it just blew my childhood mind. He's going through the garbage and jamming a, an empty Coke bottle in and a banana peel and a bunch of garbage, coffee filter, and then, you know, he says, Marty, we don't need, you know, in the future, we don't need plutonium. We just use this. And then the car gets up and just takes off into the future. What was just garbage is now practically explosive plutonium to fuel this car into the future. Is that, my friends, an image for the Bible in our world today? What, what a lot of your friends, what you maybe in your journey have viewed as something that's just now on the cultural garbage heap is actually something that if you just find a way to get it into your life, it's going to send you into the future. Not 2015, but 2016. Let's pray. God, thank you for um, the promise that you are with us in this time every, every Sunday and that you are always with us when we gather together. May you be with this um, concept and this message as we sit and think about it. May you speak to us. I know you can speak in just about any kind of way, but you have chosen to, for some reason, use this book and these scriptures to be a special place where we know we can find you. And would you find us there as we move forward in our lives and as a community? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.